I've been in and out of prisons as a lawyer and an advocate for 25 years. And one of the things that I learned very early is that... This is Blair Durham with Black Wall Street Today, your media hub for all things black entrepreneurship, politics, news, and events in Hampton Roads and beyond. When I say black, y'all say Wall Street. Black. Wall Street. Black Wall Street. When I say black, y'all say Wall Street. Black. Black. And now, here's your host, Blair Durham. Greetings, greetings, greetings. Thank you for tuning in to this 33rd edition of Black Wall Street Today with Blair Durham. Welcome, welcome. I am so grateful to each of you and pray the show has been and continues to be a blessing. Today's focus is leadership and corporate connections and is brought to you by Milestone Mental Health Agency. As many of you know, May is Mental Health Month and we encourage everyone, particularly our entrepreneurs, to take their mental health seriously. Statistics do show that the likelihood for suffering with mental illness is slightly higher for entrepreneurs than it is for the population at large. Our friends at Milestone want you to know your illness doesn't define you, your strength and Courage does. Contact Milestone Mental Health Agency to help. Email milestoneagencyva.com or call 757-606-2802. Later in this edition, we will feature attorney, social entrepreneur, and CNN political contributor Van Jones, who recently premiered a new show called The Redemption Project. It airs on Sundays, and I want to encourage you to take a look at it. We were fortunate to be called upon for an exclusive interview with Van during the recent Something in the Water Festival. Stay tuned to hear pieces of our conversation. Up first, though, is Eric Majette. The show is focused on leadership, again, and corporate connections. Uh, Eric currently holds the role as corporate executive, marketplace leader, entrepreneur, consultant, and educator. Eric's experience has afforded him the opportunity to provide world-class leadership, corporate relations, senior-level business development, consulting and training to corporations and nonprofit organizations. As a proven and dynamic leader, his leadership skills are exemplary and brings him beyond the domestic borders into international markets where effective leadership is key to successfully influencing the world. He's an advocate of peace and seeks to contribute to world peace through his multifaceted leadership experience and approach. His influence with the business community has been phenomenal, by which he formally created a cutting-edge model to marketplace solutions and affiliates through Turning Point Solutions. Welcome, Mr. Majette. How are you? I am doing wonderful. Thanks for having me. I am so honored to have you here, actually, Eric. And I do want to advise that our phone lines are going to be open as well. We certainly want this to be an interactive conversation. 757-727-5711. Again, uh, if you have questions about leadership and how to make corporate connections, 757-727-5711. Eric, first, I want to thank you for your work in the Hampton Roads area. I really feel like we all owe a huge debt of gratitude to you. for your leadership and connectedness and just willingness to um, to share with everyone. Thank, Thank you. Thank you very much. Absolutely. So let's jump right in. Talk to us about how you personally define leadership. I know there's leadership gurus the world over. What's your take on it? Wow. Leadership is actually the key to success in any organization. They always say that everything starts with leadership and everything will end with leadership. Absolutely. <laughs> so leadership to me is a person that I actually have a vision to lead um, and a servant leader, one that's willing to help others grow in their areas of expertise or career, one that's able to empower others and uh, take them basically to an unknown place along with them 
to achieve a certain goal or a certain mission. Um, leadership, uh, the effectiveness of a leadership uh, definitely is the critical component or the critical ingredient to not just a successful organization, but also a healthy organization. Wow. Wow, you said a lot there. Look, I'm trying to keep up. I'm taking notes. So let me ask you this. You, I think you said something that was so profound. You hear this term servant leadership thrown around, right? And I normally think of, you know, the first person there, the last person to leave, somebody that's willing to pour water, even if they're giving the presentation. But you broke it down even further. I really like what you said about um, being able and willing to empower other people's growth in the organization. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And I've been fortunate to work for several major, you know, Fortune 500 companies and work in leadership. And I've seen the dynamics of both type of leadership styles. I've seen the servant leadership style where you become more effective, where people will actually jump on the bandwagon with you. They're willing to go beyond the normal call of duty to support a mission or a vision or an organization to mm -hmm. uh, achieve certain performance goals and success. Then I've seen the leadership style where there was not a servant leader. It and was what just, would that one be called? The, just all about the leader. Um, the leader okay. himself. Um, <laughs> where there's um, <clears throat> that model where the culture is actually uh, become contaminated because people are not free to express themselves uh, to the leader. They're not able to share their innovative ideas or concepts to that particular leader. Um, so that leadership style um, as a servant leader is the key, I really believe, in particular uh, in this season um, where it's more effective. Hmm. Phone lines are open. Contact us and be a part of this dialogue. 757 727-5711. What are your thoughts on leadership? How, how have you led? And, and what questions do you have for our expert today? I think it's true what people say. It's not what you know, but it's who you know. Absolutely. That is your, oh my goodness. <laughs> how did you, if you don't mind being transparent to share, how did you develop such a robust network? Well, actually... I didn't even know I was developing a robust network when I was doing it. Yeah. I just stayed uh, on course. Uh, it took me 30 years, basically, to to learn how to network. Um, and I'm talking about network that works, not just going to another event. But um, I you go... You said a mouthful. Network that works is the key. Um, it took me... Um, my personality also kicked in. Well, I'm a people's person. I'm an extrovert. So, therefore, I realized that if you're in a room of people, there's someone in there that may have the same DNA you have or may have a need or may have an opportunity. And that's also when you be deal with the relationship versus just networking. I build relationships, and the relationship is a part of networking. But it took me... Uh, 30 years to get engaged and also uh, what value do you bring what is your brand mm -hmm. when you walk into a networking meeting or a networking event you are the brand you represent whatever you are you are the brand of your organization and what value do you carry with you into that and why would someone want to connect with you in your brand what is what is the why and what's the will and what's in it for for me, what's in it for them? Because the relationship, even with networking, got to be a win-win relationship. If you win and I lose, it's not a healthy relationship. If we both, if I win and you lose, it's not a healthy relationship. Or, uh, But if we both win, then we can do and accomplish much greater things. 
Ladies and gentlemen, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Black Wall Street today with Blair Durham. We are focused today on leadership and making corporate connections. We have the Eric Majette in the building. Uh, just having a conversation now about what networking really is. And I think this is an important topic, um, particularly for our community. You know, if we had to be observed, sometimes folks say we kind of look like deer in headlights. We have no idea how to network. You know, we're talking about shoes and, and other things that we're not necessarily deepening relationships. We're not necessarily, as you said, um, we don't have networking that works. So if you had to kind of teach that class or or give maybe, I don't know, three pointers to someone who was new in business, but needed to get out there and make those connections, um, what would you say? First, let me ask you this. Are you a fan of the elevator pitch or no? Um, yes, I am. Because the elevator pitch is, is, is really critical. Um, I was trained um, by a world-class organization, don't mind mentioning it, Xerox Corporation for many years. Okay. And um, they really taught us how to uh, do a quick elevation pitch. Okay. Because really people kind of size you up in less than six seconds or less. Wow. So and people don't understand that when you meet someone in less than six seconds or less, they're actually... Six, six seconds? Six, six seconds. I thought you or, said 60. No, six seconds. Wow. When they first meet you, six seconds. And if your elevation pitch is, is tight, then you have an opportunity to continue a conversation or maybe some interest there. So people size you up by the way you look, by the way you talk, or your background, different variables. Um, um, and something you just mentioned was very interesting because I just recently started working with several colleges and universities um, in our region, and I'm doing a networking uh, uh, session to the students. Perfect. And it's called, we need it. yeah, I'm doing networking <laughs> sessions to the students and teaching them how to go out and network once they graduate to try to get a job and uh, try to do different things, whether it's entrepreneurship or who they need to connect with and build relationships and not just your network. Because I have relationships now that go back 30 plus years and we still do business together with goddess or what industry I'm in or industry they're in. We're still connected. We're still working together. And the key to it is that you want to do life with people of like kind. Mm. Now you went way off. Let me <laughs> remind people, our phone lines are still open. 757-727-5711. You went from talking about teaching networking, what networking really means, to talking about doing life. That's the difference. That's, that's a deeper network. It, and and that's that's so profound. I mean, I can honestly say I found I found that to be true that as you really um, as you really push, as you really press in to get to know people and figure it out how it is that you can help them and they can help you, it becomes something not just work related. Exactly. You know, we're talking about it's a lifestyle. Yeah. Becomes a lifestyle. Families. Families. Becoming, yeah. Wow. That's deep. <laughs> what else do you have on networking? Well, I think the other thing is that we have to keep in mind is that uh, when you're networking um, and you're actually uh, introducing your organization or your business or whatever it may be, mm-hmm. you have to make sure that you're certain and you are confident in what you're speaking about. Because you're, if you're the expert in your organization and you are trying to get other people to connect to you, particular corporations. Uh, let me back up for a minute. Okay. Um, I have a lot of people that come to me about, hey, how can I connect with this organization? How can I connect with this corporation? 
corporations actually have budgets, they have, they have schedules, they have deadlines, particularly the major corporations. And in order for you to even connect with them, usually you have to start the process early, okay? Uh, from the time that you meet someone, the process in the clock starts ticking, mm. particularly with major corporations, how to connect your organization to a corporation, a Fortune 500. And then you also need to find yourself, I call this an internal coach, Within that organization, the internal coach. I'm not giving Huge. you. A, I'm not giving you a lot. <laughs> that is so good, though. Okay, I'm giving you a lot. That, you're so, on it. I'm on it. So I'm giving you a lot. So what you're saying is, if you're if you are, say you're a nonprofit, you're seeking to build a relationship with a corporation. You need to find somebody in there that will coach you in terms of Through how the process. to. Okay. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. It will co- actually coach you um, through the process. Because um, that person will actually be the person that will be able to help navigate you through, um, I would say, the uh, the gatekeeper. Because a lot of times we network, and then there's the gatekeeper mm-hmm. that's trying to protect the organization or from getting to a certain level within the organization. That's huge. Amazing. No, I mean... So profound. I mean, I just sit here thinking if I had known these things, right, and building our nonprofit, if I'd known these things out of the gate, what would those interactions have been like? But now hearing you say what my experience is, it's just like, man, somebody needs to write this book. Is that in the future for you? It's on its way. Really? Really. Nice. So we we'll are. be able to, okay. to get it. And one more interesting thing that just has crossed my mind is that, What's that? Is that um, there's a thing I call, that's called bar credibility. Mm-hmm. And I talk about that a lot. Bar credibility means that you do not have the credibility to connect with someone or that organization, but you would like to be a part or connect to the organization. So you go off the credibility of someone that's a part of the organization. So it's almost like third-party validation. Yeah, so what they do, they validate you to the connection that they have. And then vice versa, you validate them to the connections that you have. What does that look like? We've got two minutes until we go to break. Can you just, yeah. Quick idea. Say, hey, I'm trying to get into XYZ Corporation, but you know someone that works for that corporation or Mm -hmm. you know someone that knows that person Mm -hmm. or already connected to that person. Hey, would you mind sending an introduction email Mm -hmm. on my behalf? An introduction email. Introduction email. That's huge. And so what about on the flip side of that? How does it look when it's time for me to make a connection between two people? How do I facilitate that? Um, you reverse it. So what I do basically when it's time for me to facilitate it, I would do the same thing. I would make a phone call uh, to that person, but you have to have confidence that the person that you're connecting them to can deliver on their promise. Mm-hmm. That's the yeah. key. Can the connection actually happen? Is it is it a valid connection? We're not just doing it to be doing it. Right, exactly. It's a purpose. Math. There's a purpose yeah. for the connection. Because you have to remember, most, of, most people are very busy in this day and time. So, mm-hmm. and a lot of people are trying to get to them already. What's going to make you so different? What's, what do you have that will open up that door for you? That's good. We're going to have a few minutes when we come back um, from break with you. But for now, can you tell us how you can be reached? Are you, are you available for consulting at the moment? Oh, yes, I am. Okay, how can you be reached? Eric, Eric, Eric Majet Enterprise at gmail.com, and then you have my Facebook page. Eric Majet enterprise at gmail.com or 757-550-1850 757-550-1850 
Awesome, Eric. Thank you so much. I'm excited to come back from break and talk a little bit more. Direct that email is emajet enterprise. Oh, emajet enterprise at gmail.com. Emajet enterprise. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Yes. So I want to, we've got probably about seven minutes or so. Um, I want to talk about making and keeping corporate connections. I know there's an art to uh, maintaining these relationships over time. Most definitely. Excuse me. Um, It's almost like a marriage, Hmm. right? You have to work on it constantly. You have to work towards it to make sure that everybody is on the same page, have the same goals. If the mission has changed, you understand to change along with the mission. Hmm. Uh, It's one thing to make the connection, uh, but it's another thing to keep that relationship going. As I mentioned earlier um, in the segment that I have relationships that have been around for about 30 years, regardless of what I'm doing. We still have that relationship because built not just on that one network opportunity, it's built on the relationship opportunity. And once you actually connect with a corporation or organization and you um, deliver on your deliver on your commitments and your promises, sure. and that corporation continue to see value uh, in your organization, that relationship should grow tremendously. Uh, but the key to it is making sure that uh, you are offering things that are of value uh, on both on both from both parties. That's deep. Clearly, I'm writing everything down, (laughs) making sure you're offering something of value. I think what you said was important, too, because it sounds like if you do everything right on the front end, then the relationship almost maintains itself. But you mentioned something about um, understanding the changing missions, sort of, of the organizations, right? So kind of keeping up with new trends, new brand promises. Um, And then, too, I love what you said about, um, I mean, if the relationship is deep enough, it's not necessarily tied to the company. It's the, it's the two people having an authentic... Exactly. Let me, let me share something else that just yeah. hit me. Um, it's really powerful, I think, and dynamic. Okay. Is that even if something went wrong um, in that relationship, mm-hmm. but if that relationship was built on not just the network, but was built on the two parties, then that opportunity actually, you have an opportunity to, to restore or fix things before they get out of hand. A lot mm. of times I go into organizations, uh, I'm called to go into organizations as a strategist. Sure. Right? And to, uh, because I have a relationship with an organization or I know someone of a high level the organization I have a relationship with, mm-hmm. and we're able to kind of flow through the muddy water yeah. and keep the relationship I mean, going without always... breaking up. Like a divorce. Avoidable. It is, Sometimes exactly. you're going to have... Things happen. Yeah. yeah, but if you got a great relationship, that one incident or those things that's happening will not destroy that relationship with that corporation or those two organizations coming together. Because you're coming together with a common goal and a common purpose. That's good. Question for you. Um, I know that a lot of major corporations, I mean, they can go all out. They can send gifts. They can you know, really do those small things, take folks out to eat and things like that to maintain these relationships. Exactly. What about the other guy who maybe can't, you know, maybe may not have the budget to get out here and really woo folks um, from that vantage point? Is that necessary, do you think, in 2019? Well, I think that um, people are still um, people. People still like gifts. People still like 
going out. Um, I don't think it's necessary uh, once the relationship is started, get going. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times I go out, and you probably know this, I uh, do a lot of different things for a lot of different organizations. And um, the small business guy, he may not have those type of resources, mm -hmm. right, to go out and buy you lunch every time you meet or go out and give you tickets to the jazz festival or... <laughs> right. <laughs> Not everybody you know, has all of everybody that Everybody to get you VIP into this and VIP into that. They yeah. may get you during a mission, you know. Right, right. But when you're dealing with a VIP, you got to treat them like a VIP. Yeah. You know. That's uh, huge. And that's just the way it is. You're not going to take a... Uh, and I experience this a lot. You're not going to take a, a, a senior level person and give them a general mission ticket. Right? Because the, the number one goal is that when I do things like that, my goal is to make sure I'm in communication with them throughout the event and in communication with them so that we're talking about business. Most of the business that I've done, uh, large business, have not been in a traditional office. Mm. It's been either on the golf course, an outing, or something special. Now, that's that's, where, that's where it starts. Because like what you want to do, you want to make sure you get them out of their comfort zone, right? Into a place where they can relax and they can really share with you what's really happening, um, you know, with the organization. So you, the more information and data that you can collect, the better you know how to network and build that relationship. Whoa. Power. You just dropped a bomb. I think we only have two minutes left, but I want to explore that in these two minutes. You said build relationships outside the comfort zone. Most people are trying to get people in the comfort zone, but you're saying right. get the, because we want that guard to come down yeah. so that we can build something perhaps more authentic. Exactly. And then you have to have conversations that relative to them, even outside of the business. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of times I would go into an organization, if I do go into someone's office, a CEO office, I look around, I look at pictures on the wall, I look at yeah. things that may be there, and I discuss those things. And then when we get out into a, a, a more comfortable setting, we talk even further. Yeah. So you want to make sure you get them in a place where they can relax, a place where they can you can share your information. They're not really on this, on this restricted time frame. You know, most of the times you're in the office, now, you do have to go to the office at some point. Right. But when you're in the office trying to, to do this, you have a restricted time frame usually. Mm -hmm. You know, they yeah, have time. They give them 10 minutes. Phones going. Um, the, biggest deal that yeah. I, the biggest deal that I closed was uh, $55 million with Tenneco back in the 1990s for Xerox. Um, the, the CEO, uh, CFO, gave me 15 minutes to do my pitch. 15 minutes. Wow. But at 15 See, minutes, 15, 15 minutes wow. turned into a $55 million contract, which my understanding still in existence today with new production. You deserve to still be congratulated for that deal. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. So Aaron, thank you. We have less thank than a minute you. left. What re Reiterate your contact information for people that might be listening and want to. Um, I can be reached at 757 550 1850. You can email me at emajet, E-M-A-J-E-T-T-E, Enterprise, E-N-T-E-R-P-R-I-S-E, at gmail.com. You can follow me on Facebook. Awesome. 757-550-1850. And then email emajetenterprise at gmail.com. It's been a pleasure. Hope it's to been have a pleasure back. being here. Yes, you'll come back? Most definitely. Thanks awesome. for having awesome. me. Awesome. Yes. It's been a, a pleasure. As I mentioned earlier, we had the distinguished pleasure of receiving a call from CNN about an exclusive interview with Van Jones. Van Jones the Great. We want to share that interview and really, again, encourage you all 
to tune into his new CNN series, The Redemption Project, which airs every Sunday at 9 p.m. on CNN. Mind you, this audio was captured the day before his premiere, Sunday, April 27th, and it's still very much relevant, particularly for our community and its relative high incidence of crime. Listen in. So the Redemption Project premieres tomorrow. 9 p.m. CNN Eastern. I'm... I mean, it's amazing because it's been such a long journey um, for me. When did it begin for you, this particular project, this particular thing? Well, you know, I've been in and out of prisons as a lawyer and an advocate for 25 years. And one of the things that I learned very early is that there are some diamonds behind those walls. There are people who may have gone in with one attitude that might have been negative, but they've transformed themselves. And I've met people behind prison walls that are, you know, smarter, wiser, kinder, and stronger than 99% of people not in prison. And they've achieved that usually despite the prison conditions, not because of, because mm -hmm. of it. Um, but I, I wanted those diamonds to have a chance to shine. Um, because I think people would be um, blown away by what is possible um, in terms of growth and transformation. But also, having been around this stuff for a long time and having been to a bunch of funerals uh, mm -hmm. for young people, you know, in Oakland and other parts of California, I also know that uh, the victims of violent crime don't get healed just because somebody went to prison. Right. And I think right. there's this whole true crime mythology that is kind of like the main thing is the whodunit. Mm -hmm. And if you can figure out who done it or exonerate somebody who, you know, was falsely in prison, then you can roll the credits and everybody's happy. That's just not true. I hear you saying that the criminal justice system is one thing mm -hmm. that needs reform, mm -hmm. but the human element yeah. is yeah. a whole different piece that this project is attempting to yeah. really look at. Absolutely, trying to as best we can. And, you know, what I would say about it is that um, after the true crime, kind of conversation. There has to be a different conversation. And I call that conversation the truth long after the crime. And that truth is that there's a lot of a lot of healing that is still needed. And sometimes the person who's the surviving family member or the surviving victim of crime is in their own kind of prison. They're in their own prison of, of pain, of grief, and of just lack of knowledge. They don't actually know what happened right. often because right. if the person cops a plea mm -hmm. or pleads the fifth, mm -hmm. so much is still unknown. Mm -hmm. And if your child was taken from you, uh, you want to know what happened, what was really going on. Mm -hmm. And the court system is not designed to deliver that information. In fact, it's designed uh, you know, to uh, give people the right not to have to share that information. And so 10, 20 years later, people are still uh, in an emotional prison. And ironically, sometimes the person who has the key to that emotional prison is the person sitting in the physical prison that that person hasn't seen for 20 years. So I wanted to push the conversation. Uh, I feel like at, the, at a big picture level, we have, um, the culture has gotten very nasty, very negative on all sides. There's no compassion. It's not trendy to have empathy. 
Um, in fact, it's the opposite. We celebrate lack of forgiveness and empathy by calling it cancel culture, call out culture. Mm. Um, I'm going to block you culture. And um, I want you something 180 degrees opposite direction. Yeah. And I want to push the conversation. I want to push it back toward empathy and forgiveness. I want to push the criminal justice conversation beyond just nonviolent drug offenders. Because mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. not the only people who are behind bars or behind. You know, I want to push it beyond innocent people. Because um, it's not the only people behind bars. Right. But everybody counts and everybody matters and every life has worth. And nobody can be defined solely by the worst mistake they've ever made. Not me, not you, so not huge. anybody else. So huge. And so that's what the show's about. It's exciting. I kind of see a few different angles. I worked as a special educator. I saw a number of my students, you know, funeral last, right? And then a number incarcerated. Mm-hmm. And then very recently, um, yeah, my cousin lost her son to just crazy violence 10 miles from here. You know, and so she's in that. Yeah. That wrestling of, mm-hmm. I don't really know what happened. Mm-hmm. You know, who's the real victim here? That, I mean, just mm-hmm. so many things, you know? So I'm looking forward to mm-hmm. what's going to happen mm-hmm. for all of us yeah. by virtue of this work. Well, I'm excited. Well, well, the eight episodes, and two of them, do not end up all warm and fuzzy. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's real. That's reality. Um, but in three of them, uh, the surviving uh, family members uh, and or the uh, survivor um, go to the parole board, try to get the person out of prison. So wow. you got the full range of human response to pain. And, um, you know, uh, what I would say is just that Forgiveness turns out not to be the most important thing. Um, and closure, closure, quote unquote, turns out to be impossible. So a lot of the things that we were aiming for with the series, we actually, it actually turned out uh, were either inappropriate or, or, uh, or, or impossible. But what... How's that for you as a creator? I mean, I'm, I'm a totally different person having done this whole series because you, know, you go in and out of these prisons and you see people with this level of moral courage on both sides of those conversations trying to do something mm-hmm. that everybody would assume is, is um, you know, e- either unwise or or, um, or worse, it makes you look in the mirror. And, um, you know, I I work hard at it, but I'm not naturally that forgiving a person. I, I'd be holding grudges, you know? <laughs> and, um, and so... Uh, this, this series has really made me look in the mirror and try um, to accept that everybody does stuff that they regret. Mm-hmm. Now, in our series, the stakes are super high, so it's really, you know, it's really profound. Mm-hmm. But everybody's done stuff that they regret, and everybody has had something happen to them that's hard to get past. And so what we thought was a criminal justice show um, just turns out to be a real deep look into just the human spirit and, yeah. and, and what it means to be a human being on either side of that dynamic. Um, Sounds like it could also be fit for like own. Hmm? Yeah. You know? It could, it could be. Um, I, I wonder what would be next for you because the public hasn't hadn't seen this yet. But for you, you, you know, what would be next? By way of a project, or well, like well, a season two of this would be nice. So there uh, will be a, you, you, you like that if we can, 
think about this, this, is, this one is so honest. Because yeah. nobody's ever seen it. Do you it. have representation from across the country? Mm-hmm. Okay. From Alaska to New Orleans. Wow. Mm-hmm. And a lot of white folk. Because mm-hmm. people assume if you're doing something on crime, it's going to be a bunch yeah. of black folk. But the yeah. majority of crime is done by white folk. Yeah. yeah. So um, so we have a lot. It's and, and a whole range of stuff from impaired drivers to homicide, to, to, to gun violence. What kind of professional teams are necessary? So I assume you have therapists and things no, like really, that. We Maybe just, that are on board. No, or? we just really just throw really? in the room. No, hell no. We no, do, do not. No. I want to know who's yeah. got to be a part of that. Team yeah, no, in no. Order I mean, for do, that to be. Do not plot, Do not try this at home. That's what I tell I'm you. not. No, I'm not going to experiment. But I'm no, just curious. No, I mean, no. It's it. The ethics of this show were really, really um, challenging because you mess with people's um, healing. And I'm not qualified right. to do that. Right. And so we worked with groups that have been doing this for years, yeah. so-called healing dialogue groups or okay. victim offender groups, okay. uh, vic- victim offender dialogue groups um, that have developed over the decades a methodology by which they prepare people for this. Okay. It's just like it's like running a marathon. I mean, you can't just jump off up, off your couch. It's a different group depending on where you are in that conversation. Yeah, exactly. But but there's an underground movement around restorative justice that we were able to finally have them agree to decloak. Um, and this has been going on for a long time. In the cuts, on the low, trying to help people heal. Because, you know, you're talking to people and they have the same, they're in the same loop of pain yeah. for years. At some point, you just need to get more information about what happens you can make, move forward. And the only person who knows is the person locked up. And the system is designed so that those people never talk. Unlike in indigenous cultures where the two parties who hurt each other are sat down with the public community to try to work through something, in our industrial society, all the professionals jump in. The cops, the investigators, uh, the prosecutors, yeah, the defense attorneys. So the, powerful. Right, the judges. Yeah. Everybody jumps in the middle. And then the two people, both the victim and the offender, ultimately are dehumanized. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. neither one of them may get their needs met even though the verdict came down guilty in 17 years or 40 years was given the sentence. The system's fine, they move on to the next case. But the community is not fine, the victim is not fine, and the person who did wrong is not fine. But the system says, next case. And so, you know, uh, this is, right? And so we're coming back behind all that and saying, uh, what about humanity? What about humans? What about, you know, What about the fact that the sick, twisted, painful irony that when there is a violent crime, those two people are separated by the violence but but joined by the aftermath forever. Neither one can tell their life story without mentioning the other person's name. Can't do it. And so you have a bond with that person um, for all time. Uh, that you never wanted. But at some point, you have to figure out, well, what do you do with that? Mm-hmm. And for some people, actually having the conversation can be helpful. Yeah. And by the way, this is not a should show. People mm-hmm. keep thinking I'm saying that people should talk to each other or and should forget. what happens when. No, this is a could show. Yeah. You know, if you could talk, what would you say? Yeah, how um, would that go? How would that go? Yeah. And if you could... I get to a place 
where you held the story differently, what would that be like? I feel like you might have to go soon, but I'm thinking mm. about the fact that in Virginia, um, the, what is it? Execution is still a thing. Oh yeah, yeah. capital punishment. Capital punishment, I found out very recently that someone very close to me, who I knew there was something mm. underlying, lost her brother brother to capital punishment mm. and there was a whole mental health scenario and a lot of reconciliation that didn't get to happen because there was the solitary solitary confinement that preceded the capital punishment they, they, they kill you a thousand times before they kill you yeah so i understand it's been great thank you so much thank for you for the opportunity now yes. still let's stay together and, and you guys will still be in, be in touch Wow. Van Jones, The Redemption Project. What a mind. What a concept. Again, I just want to encourage, you know, tune into the show. Um, every Sunday, 9 p.m., I believe he has eight, uh, eight, this is an eight series um, program. He's looking forward, obviously, to the second season. Um, what if this is a solution to these kind of issues in our community. That's just a question that we have to explore. So I cannot emphasize enough. Most of our businesses fail due to undercapitalization. A lot of us don't understand the language of capital. Uh, we don't know how to put together a successful funding proposal. We have no idea who to network with in order to do some of the things that Eric was speaking about earlier in terms of really getting our foot in the door where money is concerned. So it's certainly a building that you want to be in, the Slover Library. We're getting underway at 8.30 in the morning. Again, we will have seven different funding sources in the room. We're also going to be teaching about best practices uh, in terms of small business accounting. That's why we'll have the CPAs present. So you've got to get those financials tightened up so that you can be in a position to receive any of these grants, loans, uh, or investments. Uh, so certainly want to, again, encourage you to register at springfocus2019.eventbrite.com. Again, it's springfocus 2019 eventbrite.com. We had a little bit of technical difficulty here, but I actually have the organizers of the Hampton Heritage Day on the line. I have uh, Mr. and Mrs. Stevenson, Diane and Greg Stevenson. Are you there? Yes, we are. Awesome. Yeah. Welcome to the call. I hope, <laughs> hope I didn't butcher the information too much. Just shared some of the things that were listed in your press release. Looks like an exciting event for May 18th. Would you share a little bit more with us? Absolutely. So the, the program begins at 10 a.m. and ends at 6. This is the seventh year um, that the program has, has run. It's a wonderful collaboration between the cultural um, heritage um, for the Hampton area, which, of course, would be the Native Americans who are here um, already, and we're going to celebrate our culture and we're going to tell our stories and share our dances and our ceremony, um, our ceremonial dressing. Um, we have Iroquois social dancing. We're, we're going to have drumming. We're going to, it's going to be beautiful and fun. We involve the audience, the children, everyone dances. Um, and also we'll have the African uh, culture, the libations, and 
will also be a part of that. Still there? Uh-oh. I think we may have lost you. Nevertheless, certainly want to just reiterate the significance of the 7th Annual Hampton Heritage Day happening on Saturday, May 18th from 10 a.m. until 6 p.m. And I'll close on this. Just a reminder about the May Brunch and Learn. You may have heard me sharing a little earlier. This is Mental Health Month. Uh, May is Mental Health Month. And so <clears throat> we're focused especially on wellness for Black entrepreneurs uh, we'll have Dr. Janae Taylor in the building next Wednesday uh, to share just a little bit about uh, the importance of a focus on mental health. But we'll also have her uh, on May 18th, as it turns out, uh, from 11 a.m. until 1.30 p.m. at the Cutlass Grill in Chesapeake, having a conversation about mental health, um, just really broaching that discussion. Uh, I know that she's going to provide some practical tools uh, she does a phenomenal job with um, walking us through breathing activities and things like that, visualizations that we can use. Uh, the food is going to be phenomenal. If you've never eaten at Cutlass Grill, uh, they provide a, a wonderful uh, brunch buffet. You can find tickets at maybrunchandlearn.eventbrite.com. Again, that's maybrunchandlearn.eventbrite.com. And the next week's focus is debt relief. Um, and so we can't rebuild Black Wall Street if we're in debt. So <laughs> debt relief with Anthony Epps and Michael Gray of Apex Financial Group of Virginia. I enjoyed today's show and I look forward to talking next week. Phenomenal. Stay with us online at Black Wall Street Today on Facebook and Black Wall Street Today on Instagram. And then follow us on Twitter as well at BWS Today. We look forward to talking again next week. Have a wonderful week. I have said and I will continue to say that the most important priority for the black community is the black community, not a particular political party. Hey yo, when I say black, you say Wall Street. Black, black Wall Street. When I say black, you say Wall Street. Black, black. When I say black, you say Wall Street. Black, black. When I say black, you say Wall Street. Black, black, uh, black Wall Street, black Wall Street. Black Wall Street.